We know there are many choices in Internet radio and the staff and host of L.A. Talk Live would like to thank you for choosing the Internet's hottest destination for the most eclectic sound and invigorating talk. This is L.A. Talk Live. We are more than just talk. The dialogue. The dialogue. The dialogue. The community voice of Southern California's young professional network. Relevant discussions about the thoughts, concerns, opportunities, and challenges faced by today's generational leaders. Real talk. Real people. This is the dialogue. The dialogue with Starlet Quarles on LA Talk Live and streaming live at www.latalklive.com. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to the dialogue, real talk, real people. I'm your host, Starla Quarles, and as always, the dialogue is the voice of our generation. So thank you, thank you so much for tuning in every Wednesday from five to six thirty, where we like to discuss the topics that are relevant to today's generational leaders. Tonight we have an absolutely fantastic show for you. I have. The one, the only, Mr. Tavis Smiley in the house today. Richard, give me uh, some hand claps. Uh, Tavis is here himself. Thank you. Richard, where my hand claps? Um, I could not have a, a, a show on politics without inviting him uh, on to discuss and get his opinion. So this is our series for the month. Let's talk politics. This is a second uh, in my series. And I'm so excited to have Tavis on the show today to talk about black people, politics, our community, and especially our need to create and sustain a black agenda for the next generation. And of course, we're going to talk about the upcoming presidential election, his thoughts on Trump, on Hillary, and of course, President Barack Obama. Now, what is unique about today's show is one, that it's commercial free and two, it is pre-recorded. So unfortunately, we will not be able to take your calls. But as always, each week, these shows are community conversations. So we definitely want to hear from you. So please post your comments or your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dialogue LA or tweet me at Starquar. And we always, always want to stay connected to you. So please join our mailing list at the dialogue LA.com so you can get notifications on upcoming shows or even check out some of our past shows. Our site is being updated right now, but we will be launching a new site and you can catch all of our shows if you've missed any of them. And tonight is a show you absolutely do not want to miss. Now, we are going to take a quick, quick uh, promotional break. And when we come back, I'm going to jump right into our series this month. Let's talk politics. We got to talk politics, y'all. We choosing a new president next week. We got to talk about it. So we're going to be talking about it all month long right here with me. Start a quarrels on the dialogue. Real talk, real people. We'll be right back. Interested in advertising your business, product, or service here on The Dialogue? 
The dialogue will help you promote your business, increase your traffic, and bring in new clients through innovative and creative marketing packages, including affordable radio ad campaigns for small businesses. Go to www.thedialoguela.com or call 323-475-8729. That's 323-475-8729. 323-475-8729. And now, and now back to The Dialogue. The Dialogue. With Starlet Quarles. Real talk. Real people. Talking about an all the way. Talking about an all the way. Shout out to Carl Clockwise Dawson. His beats are banging. Welcome back. Welcome back to the dialogue. Real talk, real people. I'm your host, Starlight Quarles, and we are having a community conversation tonight with the one, the only, Tavis Smiley. And unfortunately, we're pre-recording. Not unfortunately. Thank you. I was, I was looking for those claps in the beginning, Richard. Uh, and we are pre-recording this tape, which is unique for me, but I, I'm absolutely flexible to getting his voice here on this conversation. But post your comments or your questions on our Facebook page. So let me introduce uh, my guest, who I feel we are kindred spirits. He is a fellow broadcaster and advocate for the progress of black people, uh, particularly uh, the next generation, which is something that I am extremely passionate about in educating and empowering my peers, but you guys know that. You guys have been rolling with me for a while, so you know. But I do want to uh, formally introduce Mr. Tavis Smiley. I mean, his name says it all, so I'm just going to read you a brief uh, part of his bio just so that we can get a little background information on Mr. Tavis. Mm. Uh, from his celebrated conversations with the figures to his work to inspire the next generation of leaders as a broadcaster, author, advocate, and philanthropist, Tavis Smiley continues to be an outstanding voice for change. Smiley is currently the host of the late night talk show Tavis Smiley on PBS and the Tavis Smiley show from Public Radio International. In 2007, Smiley made television history as a moderator and executive producer of the All-American Presidential Forums on PBS, the first Democratic and Republican presidential debates broadcast live in prime time with a panel of exclusively comprised of journalists of color, which uh, was fantastic. Uh, in addition to his radio and television work, Smiley has authored 14 books. Let me say that again, 14 books. His memoir, What I Know For Sure, My Story of Growing Up in America, became a New York Times bestseller. And his book entitled Covenant with Black America, which we're going to be talking about today. Matter of fact, he just released the 10 years later, the Covenant with Black America 10 years later. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, but in its original publication, it was the first nonfiction book by a Black-owned publisher to reach number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, one of his latest books, Accountable, Making America as Good as Its Promise, examines hard-hitting truths about the issues our country faces and addresses our political leaders, corporations, and finally, American citizens themselves can enforce accountability and affect change. However, Smiley's most gratifying accomplishments are rooted in his passion to inspire the next generation of leaders. Do you see why I say we are kindred spirits? The Tavis Smiley Foundation, a nonprofit organization, was established to provide leadership training and development 
for youth. Since its inception, more than 6,000 young people have participated in the foundation's Youth to Leaders training workshops and conferences. Please welcome my special guest for tonight on the dialogue, Mr. Tavis Smiley. Charlotte, good to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. How of are course. you? Guys? You know, I have to say, you are a man of your word because you did say that you were going to come on the show and you. Mm -hmm kept your promise. So thank you so much, especially in LA and dealing with, you know, super, you know our people, yeah. superficial Hollywood, know how we are. but you are <laughs> a true man of your word. Delighted to be here. My pleasure. Thank Fantastic. You. You're a busy man. What are you doing these days? A little bit of everything. First of all, I hope this election is over um, sooner than later. Have you been, um, I've been following it for like a year and a half. Yeah, you've been on, I know you've been on it. I've had to because of, uh, because of the TV and radio work, but it's, um, it's, it's a, there's going to be a lot of post-mortem done on this. I, I believe so, too. A lot of post-mortem. There's a lot of lessons to be learned. I've been saying consistently this, that this election is fundamentally about what kind of nation we're going to be, mm. who are mm -hmm. we really as a people. Absolutely. Um, the ideals that we profess, the I-D-E-A-L-S, the ideals we profess as Americans are one thing, but the ideas okay. that we have been toying with in this campaign are something else. Mm. So there's a huge you know, d d gap between the ideals we profess and the ideas that are being advanced. And so it's fundamentally, again, a question about what kind of nation are we going to be? Who are we really as a people? And I think that's why the election is so fundamentally important. Do you feel we have a promising future, especially as black people? Are you concerned about the future with the leadership that is at yeah. stake? Well, let me answer it this way. I, I have never been an optimist. Um, okay. I am a prisoner of hope eternally, but a not an optimist. A prisoner of hope. An op optimism suggests that there's a particular set of facts or circumstances, conditions. Optimism says there's something you can see, feel, or touch that gives you reason to believe that things are going to get better. Okay. If there were nothing you could see, feel, or touch, you wouldn't say... I'm optimistic. Okay. Hope is something very different, not to be, um, not to proselytize, but the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, yes. the evidence of things not, not seen. seen. Mm -hmm. So that black people have always been a hopeful people yes, we are. when we had no reason to be optimistic. Okay. That's why I say I am eternally a prisoner of hope, even though I don't see the data that suggests to me there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. Very that makes nice. sense? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, so let's get a little bit back into your background. Um, we're going to talk so much about politics, but I just want to get you know my audience to know a little bit uh, more about you. Mm -hmm. You're not an L.A. native. You no. were actually born in Mississippi, but you were raised uh, in Indiana. That's so right. share with us a little bit about your childhood and growing up in Indiana. Yeah, it's funny you should ask that question. I was just literally um, in Mississippi like yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, my mother and I would had some family business to do with, so I hadn't been back in a while, but I was born there. So I went back to Mississippi just last weekend to do some, again, some work with my mom. But um, um, my mother is from Mississippi. My okay. father's from Georgia. My father was stationed at an Air Force base mm -hmm. in Mississippi, and so that's how they met. Okay. Along comes Tavis, uh, and then after me comes nine other kids. I was going to say, you had a huge family. Yeah, so there are ten kids in my family. Wow. I'm, I'm one of ten, eight boys and two girls. Where are you in the line? Uh, number one. You, you are you the eldest. I'm number one. Uh, okay. Uh, so... so uh, nine brothers and sisters, my, we got transferred from this Air Force base in Mississippi to Indiana. And unlike most military families who move around a lot, we didn't have to move around a lot because our family was so big, okay. it became an economic hardship even to the Air Force to okay. move us around that much. All right. So I think I was fortunate in some ways I got to grow up in one place and I put some roots down in Indiana. Uh, my friend Cornel West always says that our roots, our R-O-O-T-S, determine our roots, our mm. R-O-U 
R-O-U-T-E-S. Your roots determine your roots. Or, that if, you is prefer, so or if you prefer true. your roots to determine your routes, if you prefer to to, uh, to pronounce it that way. But the point is that you have to be rooted in something. And Absolutely. when you're not rooted, you know, things can be a little tricky for you. On the other hand, the great thing about being in military families is they do move around a lot. Mm-hmm. And so you get a chance to see the world. And so I missed out on that part. But I, I think I prefer having grown up in a place where there was more stability. So I grew okay. up in Indiana, went to school at Indiana University, yeah. went there on a debate scholarships. So I was on the debate team, was national champion my senior year. And I tried to believe that Tavis was a debater. And not but I'm, at uh, all. Yeah. <laughs> I was on debate team at Indiana. And I came out to L.A. during my senior year at Indiana to do an internship for Tom Bradley. Yeah, I was going to say. That's how I got to L.A. I came here for a one-semester internship, uh, fell in love with the city, fell in love with Tom Bradley, went back to Indiana to finish up my degree, and then I moved to L.A. to work for Tom Bradley, and that's how I got to L.A. And I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that, but you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about is, is your mom. She's mm-hmm. very influential. Oh, Lord, yes. yeah. um, she is who you attribute your strength to. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about uh, Mrs. Joyce uh, Marie Smiley. Yeah, my mother is. How old is your mama? She, my mother is 71, and she's doing very well. She, okay. My mother runs six miles a day. Six miles a day. More than I do. So M- more in, than I do. Yeah, she's in great shape. <laughs> um, she, my, mother is, um, my mother is a minister. Oh, you a preacher's kid? You are a PK. A Pentecostal evangelist. So I grew up in a Pentecostal tradition, so which means I couldn't do nothing when I was a kid. Uh, and you was doing, you were sneaking <laughs> yeah, and rebelling yeah, like you, all the PKs. You understand. You I understand. do. My mom is an evangelist, uh, and my father um, is the hardest working man I know. Mm-hmm. So I say all the time that my father taught me my work ethic. Okay. And my mother is the reason why I'm such a, such a person of faith. So they both had major contributions to make. But the most important thing is that my mother and father were young parents. Mm. And I mentioned earlier, the short version is I have nine brothers and sisters. The longer version is that my mother and father have six kids and my mother and father adopted Adopted. four kids. That's how they got to be 10 of us. So that's the long version. My my mother's sister was murdered. Yeah, Yeah, my mother's sister was murdered. How old were you when that happened? Well, I was just in the third grade. Okay. And so my mother and father... Literally, my mother had two kids, and she was pregnant with her third child, the third of her six. Mm. So she was had two and a half children at the time. And my my aunt was murdered, and overnight, um, my mother and father de- decided to bring in my four cousins yeah. because they were going to be split up and sent to different foster homes. Mm-hmm. And my mother and father couldn't, couldn't, couldn't abide that. Mm-hmm. So literally, overnight, we go from having two and a half kids to having six and a half kids. And I went one day years ago and did the math on that. My mother and father were like 26 and 27. Isn't that crazy? When they did that. I mean, just our parents' generation getting married that young and still being together. My parents have been together since high school. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, so our generation, uh, divorce is an option, yeah. right? And I was about to say, just bringing in, you know, extended family members. Yeah. There's so many um, of us today who who don't really think that, yeah. you know, communal. Sure. And, uh, and 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 in their instance, in their case, the thing that got me, Starlet, was that they were so responsible. Absolutely. Twenty six and barely twenty seven years mm-hmm. of age. They're raising kids who weren't even theirs. They right. brought in four kids because the love was so deep. They didn't want to see those kids, you know, separated. Absolutely. Um, but my father only had an air force. My mother wasn't working at the time. Mm-hmm. My mother was pregnant. She wasn't working. Mm-hmm. My father was in the Air Force. You don't get rich being in the Air Force. No. Um, a non-commissioned officer, so he wasn't making a lot of money. I, I, I remember so vividly just breaking down in tears one day when I finally, I mentioned Tom Bradley earlier. When I finished Indiana, came out here to work for Tom Bradley. I remember what my opening, what my starting salary was. Mm. My starting salary with Tom Bradley, with my with my education and my connection with the mayor. So this is after the internship. Yes, exactly. Okay. My starting salary with Tom Bradley when he hired me 
was about $15,000 more than my father's salary. Wow. He'd been in the Air Force for years at that time. Wow. And I remember just, my mother asked me, how, how, how's the job going? Do they pay you what you wanted? And I was, you know, I'm a kid, you know, you don't, you don't tell folk your, your business, but I told my mother right. how much I was making. And she just got quiet on the phone. Mm. I said, what's wrong? She said, you know how much your father makes? And she told me. And I literally just broke down in tears because I could not believe that on my first job, after watching how hard my father worked all those mm. years, I was making more money than my father was. Mm -hmm. So I've always been grateful to my parents, and I take good care of them nowadays. Now that I can afford to, I take As really well. good care of them. Absolutely. But it was you just really good. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> just a yeah. matter of fact, both of them have just turned 70 in the last year. Wow. So the money I the, the money I have spent on two 70th birthday parties. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go save my pennies again. I'm, I know that's I'm, right. I'm broke now. No, you ain't never. I'm, broke. No, I'm broke, right never broke now. No, but you're not. They're wonderful people, and I, and I'm so glad that they're they're young enough. Uh, again, they were young and they were responsible. Need to be loved. Yeah. They need to be loved. Yeah. And in the absence of that love from a mother, from a father, in the absence of that, they will go anywhere else to yes, find they it. Will. And that's what that's what everybody is searching for, whether people admit it or not. Every one of us wants to be loved. We want to be respected. We want to be acknowledged every now and again. That's what we want. We want Absolutely. to be loved. We want to be respected. And every now and then for something that we've attempted to do, we want to be acknowledged. Yes, we want we to be affirmed. Mm -hmm. And so you can act tough and you can act hard and big and bad and all that, but that's what you want. Absolutely. You want love. That's what God wants. You want love. <laughs> you want your testimony. That's exactly right. You okay. want love. You want respect. You want to be acknowledged. And yeah. in the absence of that, in a familial environment, People will go looking for it anywhere else. And, yes, that's, and that's the, st the story of what's happened to this generation of young black kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you talked about your mom with your dad. You know, yeah. you got your, your hard work ethic. Mm -hmm. um, as a young black man, what else did you garner from him? What did you, what did, what did you learn from him? What did yeah. he teach you my as a black man? Yeah, my father didn't say a whole lot. He was a okay. very quiet man. And I, I, I'm amazed. I was actually teasing him about this the other day. My dad, somehow, one of my... One of my nieces, one of my 31 nieces and nephews. 31. Has you know them all? Yeah, yeah, I know them all. Don't ask me. Don't ask me to call all the names. <laughs> not their middle names, especially. Uh, <laughs> but one of my nieces and nephews has taught my dad recently how to text. Okay. And so my dad now is texting me. Mm -hmm. And I woke up one morning and my dad had sent me a text and said, uh, he says, hey, he calls me number one. Hey, number one. That's he's texting. He says, hey, number one. Just want to tell you how much I love you. Nice. And I was thinking about you and I woke up this morning. Hope you have a great day. Man, I saved that text for like weeks and weeks and weeks. Did he tell you that when you were growing up? Did he you didn't. Okay. He didn't. That's what I'm trying to say. My mm -hmm. father was so busy working all the time. Mm -hmm. I just, I was talking to, I'm not name dropping, but there's a point here. Denzel Washington and I are friends and we box at the same gym every okay. morning. So I saw Denzel literally just this morning. And I hadn't seen him in a couple of weeks because he's been editing his new film, Fences, which okay. comes out on Christmas Day. Fantastic. And so Denzel and I were talking about it this morning and I was saying to him, man, I saw the trailer the other day and that scene where you're, in, you know, it's August Wilson play, Fences. Right. I said, the scene where you're in the yard talking to your son. And the son says to the father, do you love me? Mm. And Denzel's character says, do I love you? Do I love you? Do you eat every day? Right. You got clothes on your back? You so, he, so you know, I can't, I'm not Denzel Washington, but it's just a powerful scene yeah. of this father in dialogue with his son. But the son felt the need for whatever reason to just ask his father. And to hear it. Do you love me? Yeah. I need to hear it. Yeah. And so my father, that, that scene reminded me of my father so mm -hmm. much because my father showed how much he loved us by working like a dog day in and day out to take care of his kids, four kids that he didn't birth, but he agreed to bring in. Mm -hmm. And then my grandmother, Big Mama, got sick Big and Mama. she moved in with us. So there were 13 people. There were 13 of us in a one-bathroom, three-bedroom trailer. I didn't grow up in a house, in a trailer, in a trailer park. One bathroom, mm. three bedrooms, 13 people. And I never heard my father 
complain one day in his life mm -hmm. about raising kids who weren't his, mm -hmm. about taking care of his mother-in-law. My father never complained. He went to work. He worked extra time. He worked. Um, he had a. He did a started a little cleaning service. Okay. So on top of his military job every day in the Air Force, he started cleaning buildings and bathrooms and stuff. Never once complained. Mm -hmm. So my, to your, answer your question is, my father didn't say a lot to me as but a child, a lot. but he showed me yes, a lot. And now he's an older guy. I can't shut him up. Mm -hmm. He's talking to me all the time and texting me all the time. And <laughs> when I talk to him on the phone, he breaks down crying sometimes. Age does that to yeah. me. He kind of puts you in a different space. Yeah. And I think part of it is the grandkids. Yeah. The grandkids have softened him up. Absolutely. I listen to the I listen to my nieces and nephews at our big 70th birthday party for him literally in September of this year. Okay. So just a couple months ago, a month or so ago. Um, I listened to my, my nieces and nephews talk about their grandfather mm -hmm. and the things they were saying about him and the, the things they do with him and how they hang out with him. I was like, that ain't the dad that, that I know. That ain't dad I know, but, right. But age and grandkids have kind of softened him. It's a beautiful thing, though. I'm, uh, I'm sure. Much yeah. to my father's chagrin. He got three kids, and they got no grandkids. Yeah, yeah, so well. <laughs> he's waiting. You talk about uh, coming to L.A. and working yeah. with uh, Tom Bradley. He mm -hmm. came here originally as an intern, mm -hmm. and then you were so adamant about, you know, working with him. What was it mm -hmm. about Mayor Tom Bradley that you, you know, you wanted to work with him? You were writing him these letters. Mm -hmm. um, they said that they didn't have any more inter internship opportunities, mm -hmm. but you were uh, committed. Yeah. Uh, talk about uh, your ambition to work with Mayor Tom Bradley. Well, the message for young people is that you have to be committed yes, um, to whatever it is you want to do. I, I, mean, I get asked all the time, what's the most important lesson? Be passionate. Mm -hmm. You got to be passionate. If you're passionate about what you do, um, then you'll commit yourself to doing what needs to be done to make it happen. And I was passionate about politics and about uh, public service, about what, working for people. What inspired you at 13? Yeah. You went to a fundraiser. What were you doing at a fundraiser yeah. at 13? There was a deacon in my church named Douglas Hogan. And uh, Deacon Hogan happened to be a member of the city council okay. in my hometown of Kokomo, Indiana. So the Kokomo, he's the first Indiana. politician I ever met, basically. Okay. But I, so it wasn't the politician label that really got me. It was that he was he was one of those old school public servants, mm -hmm. not a politician, a public servant. And everybody in our neighborhood would go to him whenever they had a problem. Because right. if Councilman Hogan couldn't fix it, it couldn't be fixed. Okay. If he couldn't fix it, you better call on Jesus. Councilman Jesus, Hogan was the one. Yeah, he Jesus. was the one that could. He was the fixer. Okay. And I just saw not just what he was able to do and the power he had to get things done, but most importantly, Starlet, I saw the love, the sublime joy that he got from loving and serving people. Nothing made him happier mm -hmm. than to fix somebody's problem, mm -hmm. to find that check that they said was in the mail that hadn't arrived, right. to get the pothole in the street fixed, to get the cat out the tree. It's a small town. Whatever it was, there was so much joy. It's kind of like Andy Griffith, you know. Mm -hmm. There was so much joy that he found in loving and serving people and fixing and solving their problems. Okay. I, have a, I have a friend of mine sitting in the corner over there. And that's what he does. I mean, I've never seen like anybody like Danny. Danny works; they've been together for years. But every time I think of, every time I see Danny, I think of Councilman Hogan because they're just they're just a handful of folk in the world who really find that kind of joy mm -hmm. in loving and serving other people. Yeah. And they don't see it as a put down. No. You can't put them down. No. They do it because they find joy in because it. Because they find joy in it. In absolutely. serving. Yeah. Absolutely. Most of us want to have the title and be on the stage and be in the limelight, but there's some people who just find joy in serving. Okay. And Councilman Hogan was that way, and so he took me to meet. Went to a fundraiser one night when Senator Birch by our U.S. state, U.S. United States Senator, was running for re-election. I went with Councilman Hogan to a fundraiser and I met Senator By. So now it's not just Doug Hogan. I'm meeting a United States Senator, and I'm just a kid in Indiana. And that just really reinforced this notion to me that you could love and serve people at a local level, at a state level, at a national level, and that's when the political bug, so to speak. So did you? Me. So did you know what you wanted to be prior to that? No, I, pr prior to that, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I, I didn't know. I knew that I had a penchant for for. I was 
I, I spoke well. Okay. And I did programs at church and all programs at school. So I knew that I had a gift for, for talking and for expressing myself. Okay. But I didn't know how that was going to be channeled. Dr. King was my hero. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I wanted to do something loving and serving people. But I didn't know what it was going to be. Okay. And it, it initially started out with this desire to be an elected official, a public servant. And as you know, years later, that sort of changed to what I'm doing now. But that's how I got started. And in terms of um, in, when you were in college, mm-hmm. that, that inspiration was still, yeah. uh, you know, to be a, a, a politician mm-hmm. or to have a voice. That's right. Uh, you led a protest. Yeah. I went uh, to one of your friends got killed. Yeah. I went, to, I went to Indiana to study political science. That okay. was, that's why I went, to be to get my degree in political science, to learn more about the theory and the praxis of it, and and, and to come out at some point and run for office. So I, as a kid, I thought after meeting Birch Bayh, my goal was to be the first black U.S. senator from nice. Indiana. I wanted nice. to be the Barack Obama of Indiana. Okay. And so that was my goal. And when in my sophomore year, one of my friends was murdered by the cops. Mm. This is a black friend of mine on the football team shot and killed by the white cops in Bloomington, Indiana, the kind of stuff we see all the time all these the time. days. But it was so rare in, in that era uh, to see what, what I saw. And as a student leader on the campus of Indiana University, I was one of the persons in charge of organizing protest okay. to get something done about the killing of my friend Denver Smith. And so that was the moment when all the study, all the reading, all the all the you know all the stuff I've been doing to dig into everything about Dr. King, who was and still is my hero. So here's the moment of truth. All that training, all that reading, all that learning, and hanging out with Douglas Hogan, the councilman. Here is my moment now nice. to be as a student leader out front on this issue. And that was when I really got involved in, in and committed myself as a sophomore in college to being the kind of public advocate the public servant that I've tried to be all these years. So after your internship, you came back to Indiana and then mm-hmm. you uh, relocated to Los Angeles to work with Mayor Brown. So talk about exactly what you did as one of his aides. Mayor Bradley, yes. Yeah, Mayor sure. Bradley, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. Mayor Bradley. And uh, what did you learn from that experience and well, learn from him yeah. specifically? The short answer is I did everything. <laughs> when, you're, when you're a young <laughs> aide, you know how it works, you do everything. You do everything. Whatever <laughs> thing needed to be done, including taking his wife to the doctor's office, whatever wow. it needed, going mm-hmm. to the grocery store, whatever, taking her to the Dodger games, whatever needed to be done for him or his wife, that's what I did. Okay. Uh, my 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 job title was JAA, Junior Administrative Aide, and that meant working with the mayor. And he had a number of aides, six in particular, who were assigned to different parts of the city. We were his eyes and ears in the cities, that, in the part of the city that we were assigned to. I was assigned to South LA. Okay. A, a wonderful woman named Ray Cunningham had done that for him for years. She was retiring and getting getting older and decided to retire. And so he gave me the chance to take Ray's position to be his eyes and ears in all of South Los Angeles. I had mm-hmm. about 15 or, 15 or 20 years zip codes. It's 1987. Okay. Yeah, so I'm working for the mayor. I'm his junior aide. I'm his eyes and ears in South LA. And so I learned a lot you know, about how policy works. I learned a lot about how policy doesn't work. I learned a lot about uh, what it means to really love and serve people. I learned a lot about what it meant to do that in a metropolis. Now, keep in mind, I had worked for the mayor in Bloomington, Indiana as a student. Okay. I'd worked for the mayor. As a matter of fact, when that Denver Smith protest jumped off, the way I handled that impressed the mayor so much that she offered me a job in her office in Bloomington. Nice. So I'd worked for a mayor, so I knew how, you know, I knew how to, I knew things worked. But working for the mayor in Bloomington and L.A. is a little bit different. Absolutely. And so I I knew what it meant to be an aide to a mayor. But with Mayor Brad, I learned I just learned so much. There are a number of lessons that I that I take away from that. One is that he was more concerned about the work than about getting the credit. Okay. Um, Tom Bradley was a very focused individual. He just stayed busy on what he needed to do. Didn't worry about the press. Didn't worry about the credit. Handled criticism pretty well. 
Um, but he just stayed focused on his work. It was about delivering for people, and that's why he was mayor for 20 years in this town, because mm -hmm. Tom Bradley stayed focused on doing what needed to be done for the people of Los Angeles. And so I just you know, took, a, took a lot from him, but one of the things I've tried to hold on to all these years it's not about what people say. It's not about what people do. It's not about how they perceive it. It's about you knowing what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. And if you stay focused on that, your keep your head down and do your work, in the end, what matters is the work. And you knew your purpose was? My purpose was to love and serve people. Okay. I say all the time that leadership, my definition is this. I've, I've honed this over the years that leadership is simply this. You can't lead people unless you love people. Mm. And you can't save people unless you serve people. That's my definition of leadership, and all my friends know it. You